Sequoia's official podcast. Where we kick ash. How's it going, Sequoia? You're listening to KA19, Sequoia's official podcast. I'm your host, Jackie B, and sitting in with me today is Shiv Devganya. Shiv, how's everything going today? Uh, great, Jack. It's going pretty epic, and I'm, I'm really happy to be doing this interview today. Our guest, or, um, our guest today at the Monster, Monster Cave are Kenny Liu, who is the Director of Middle School Education and Professional Learning, and Brian Mercer, who is the Director of High School Education and Assessment. Welcome, guys. How are you? Great. Thanks Great. for having us. Hey, Sequoia. How's everybody doing? Woo-woo. Good to be here. Awesome. Thanks for coming in today. And so let's jump right into today's topic, uh, restorative justice and its implementation within CVUSD. So Shiv and I, with the help of Mrs. Stevenson, had to do some research on what restorative justice really is. And it's a little confusing since there's a ton of information available. As I understand it, restorative justice in education initially was based on the judicial system model as a way to address behavioral issues and resolve conflict. In other words, it was an attempt to find alternatives to suspensions and expulsions. Would you guys say that's accurate? Yeah, I think that's accurate. I, I think the biggest thing is we, we really want our students uh, in school learning. So the more um, flexible and the more proactive we can be uh, to help kids uh, in their learning, not just inside the classroom, but outside the classroom and their behavior, uh, the more learning we have there and expanding that beyond the classroom is really important because we want students in school learning as much as possible. Would you say that's accurate, Mr. Liu? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know, your description of you know, addressing behavioral issues and resolving conflicts, I think the only thing that I would change is that I think that resolving conflicts almost comes before the resolving of behavioral issues. So restorative justice really has a focus in on like making things right and, and resolving issues um, for um, those people that have been harmed. That's quite interesting. Uh, well, while we were doing research, we came across a sort of Venn diagram, and, uh, and it showed the key values of respect, dignity, and mutual concern that were related to restorative justice and like were m- major parts of it in education. Mm-hmm. Is also is having a healthy school climate and relationship building a part of the district's philosophy as well? And how does that work? Yeah, a- absolutely. And that's uh, Shiv. I'm glad you brought that up. So. Uh, in Conejo Valley Unified, we, <coughs> we have a right fit for every family, and we believe each child has unique gifts to discover. So, and then we have various schools around our district that have different qualities and different options uh, for students. And so our schools are positive, safe, and inviting learning environments. So many of you have heard, or maybe you have not heard, it's uh, our, our motto, our saying, the Conejo way. Uh, we have that on our website. You'll hear uh, Dr. McLaughlin say a lot of it during the board meetings. But the Conejo Way is really basically our motto, and it, it really what it means is it, it ensures ideal academic outcomes for our students. Uh, as we use teamwork, we use relationship building, trust and accountability. You do this every day with your teachers, like Ms. Stevenson, we have with your principal. Uh, and building that trust and accountability, you know, that leads the way into a bright future, working together, students and adults. And the last thing I'll say about that is um, many of you are familiar with our local control accountability plan. It's called the LCAP. We have four main goals in our LCAP. And actually that, and a lot of it's based obviously on academics and education, but it's really important. The the, um, fourth goal is, and I'm going to quote it, it's it's 
to enhance the social, emotional, and physical well-being of all students. So it's really talking about that social, emotional piece. Uh, some examples of this in Conejo is uh, our breakthrough program, uh, Fulcrum. I know many of you have, have participated in that. Stand Proud program, the Sanford Harmony. It's all the social, emotional learning programs that we have in the district to help our students. So really, all of these programs, including restorative justice at the core, is working to build a better relationship between teachers, administrators, and the students. Yes. Is that what I'm getting? Part, part of it, yeah. A, lot, a big part of it is building that relationship, but then there's also the teamwork, there's collaboration. It's, it's, it's all encompassed in within the educational realm that you guys are, are a part of. We're really trying to build here a family out of school rather than school just being something that you have to do. Yeah, we want, yeah, we want students to be able to know when they come to school, it, you know, it expands out beyond your paper to pencil, you know, tests that you're taking. It really, we want students to come to school feeling safe. We want them to know that they have advocates uh, in adults and peers. Uh, that they can talk to and yeah you said it you know it should feel like a family and and kids who are struggling in whatever area we want to make sure that we support them and provide any type of support intervention for them to help them be successful so um instead of trying to whittle down all of the information we found online may I ask um, both of you to give us just in your own words what a simple summary of what restorative justice is in your mind and how that is going to play into our everyday lives. Yeah, sure. Um, restorative justice really is centered on like a strong belief in community and relationships. Um, there's no one single approach um, or method like of restorative justice, uh, which is why like I commonly refer to it as like restorative approaches. Um, so basically, a restorative approach really starts with a mindset that emphasizes the importance of individuals or groups trying to make things right um, and to address the harms that maybe have been caused. Restorative approaches include like, the needs and feelings of those people who were maybe harmed in a conflict, whereas sometimes you know, with um, sort of more traditional mindsets, we always rush to maybe punish or emphasize our energies on the people who maybe have done wrong. Um, once people get this mindset down, this really this focus on making things right and, and of strong belief in communities and relationships, uh, restorative approaches can take many forms. Um, a lot of them can be informal or formal. Um, for example, a teacher or administrator or staff person or even student uh, may use like restorative questioning. Um, so some of those questions might be, you know, who is affected by the issue or the conflict? Uh, what needs to be done to repair that harm? as well as what needs to be done to prevent this harm from happening again. Um, another example might be a more formal circle that involves two or more people who are maybe having a conflict with each other. Um, in this case, a facilitator and say supporting members uh, would carefully prepare and facilitate a structured conversation to discuss the issues, the feelings of both parties, and how the issue can be resolved and to make sure that that issue doesn't happen again. So again, there's no sort of one-size approach or one-size-fits-all for restorative approaches, but again, I really can't overemphasize the importance of that belief in like relationships and uh, community. So restorative justice as a term is almost like an umbrella of this sort of conflict-resolving, um, more like social sort of talking-it-out sort of feeling of just everything that involves conflicts and what happens here at school. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think restorative justice in schools is about teaching students um, and equipping, you know, really everyone that's a part of that community, um, giving them the skills and the time and the space, like, to make things right. And that's not something that is necessarily um, easy. I think it is really time-consuming and requires, like, a lot of uh, kind of getting used to. But I think once once things start taking shape, um, it can really be a powerful tool in informing those communities that we know are so important for um, teaching and learning. Wonderful. And um, this is to either of you. Is there anything um, specific that is being implemented in the school district as like restorative justice replacing something maybe more traditional? Yeah, I think that it's probably we're looking at restorative justice as something you know that's in addition to you know our current work. So. I'll just say that you know we're slowly introducing um, restorative approaches or restorative justice within our district. Um, it's important to note really that like lots of teachers, um, staff, and administrators um, like already have restorative mindsets, and so these are people who are constantly trying to think of ways to um, teach and educate and really make things right um, when say you know something goes you know quote unquote wrong. Um, but a number of teachers and staff you know, have been recently trained on restorative approaches um, prior to you know even Mr. Mercer and I coming on board here at Conejo, um, and they're you know right now finding meaningful ways to implement some of those approaches in their classroom or in their schools. Um, earlier this year, I know that Miss Chambers uh, facilitated a community circle training, and that kind of is one of, like can be a foundational tool for restorative approaches. Um, so we're looking to continually find meaningful ways to introduce the topics and the skills um, throughout the district. And I would say that these aren't necessarily in a replacement of something, but certainly expanding the toolkit of our district to um, really educate our students best. And so in layman's terms, could you explain to us how, how the restorative justice system is different than the normal or like just conventional system at school? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when you think of traditional discipline and consequences, those used to ha involve students who, let's say, um, there's harm being done or there's, uh, it's responsible to the teacher or the school's administration. So you can have a fight, for instance, or you can have a conflict in a classroom, or there can be something drugs and alcohol related, you know. Um, so so another so an example you know let's say a student harms another person they're going to be suspended from school right um, that still occurs right but what we're trying to do with the restorative approach is uh, in addition to whatever consequence is given we really want to educate the student and to correct the behavior so maybe that student is having uh, some some issues at home and maybe we need to maybe we need to dig a little deeper there you know maybe we need to reach out and connect with the family and and have a restorative circle with the family and the student um, or maybe they just need they need uh, some kind of outlet maybe they need to join a sport or join a club or an activity um, so without you know when you give a consequence that's not where it should end when you talk about discipline you need to continue to reach out to that student and and see you know peel peel back the layers and see really what's going on so in the past, you know, the discipline, the consequence has been, you know, okay, they get a suspension, now they're back in school, and here we go. Well, did that really resolve the problem? No, arguably, right? You've had a student that was out of school for five days, and now they're back. Well, what happened? So um, 
so restorative justice, you know, it you can look at it as as another form another form of a consequence, but um, you know, a consequence is just something that happens because of something else, right? So this consequence is not necessarily punitive, but instead it places responsibility on the student to make things right. Um, you know, there's one other area I mentioned, you know, the drugs and alcohol. So we created um, a, an activity or multiple activities for students to look at, uh, you know, when let's talk about when we talk about vaping. Okay, so um, there's a program now that we've created where, you know, the student is now going to have a series of videos or a series of activities that they're going to, uh, or articles to read about the dangers of vaping. Uh, just to give one example, and so they learn about that. They learn how it's how it's dangerous to them, and then so there's some ed there's an educational component to to that that piece. So um, I think that piece plus the student, you know, holds holds the student accountable to fix the issue, and it also develops a relationship. You know, the relationship piece is so important when you're in school. Um, it's important for students to have advocates and to have someone, at least one person, to go that they know they can go talk to. So. So really, restorative justice is sort of like a, um, it's it's sort of two steps, right? There's prevention, mm -hmm. so making sure that this isn't going to happen again, right. which is great, instead of just having it be done and then come back and have them do the same thing possibly again. But then there's also that investigation sort of aspect of it, seeing why that why they did that, and then that's sort of helping fuel how to prevent it again. And education, I'd say that you're absolutely right, Jack, and then the third part would be the educational piece to it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. It's a good way to put it. Uh, so... Just to make it clear, restorative justice still has the punishment dealt on the child, but it also has the child, you know, learn about why they did it, and it also has the sort of aspect of just kind of helping the child, like, in terms of why they didn't preventing it again. So, not necessarily. I mean, you know, of course we're talking about, um, and you guys know, you know, gentlemen, that, like, there are so many things, you know, that can happen in a yeah. community, you know, or in a school, and so it's, it's uh, hard to say, you know, firm yes or no um, in terms of connecting in you know uh, traditional punishment and restorative approaches but I would just say um, in my experience that um, restorative approaches can and sometimes it is very appropriate for that to take the form of like the most appropriate consequence um, that is not punitive or like taking away in nature so for instance um, just to give some examples of that right if you have two students who have a conflict with each other during lunch um, we certainly could, you know, um, have them do detention, uh, bring in the parent for a conference and a contract, and we might do that. But we could also bring those two students in, talk about what the issue is, um, what were the feelings of those students, how can we resolve that, and how can we make sure that doesn't happen again, like together as like a collaborative dialogue. That would be an example, possibly, where you could just do a restorative approach um, instead of doing something that is punitive. And ultimately what, in that case, we would get, ideally, is students better understanding each other, better understanding how to navigate, you know, their responsibility towards one another and in the community um, without, say, you know, having to punish them. And that's depending on the severity of the case? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think Got that, it. you know, Mr. Mercer and I, you know, we both believe that in, in some cases, absolutely, um, um, you know, suspensions or expulsions you know, are appropriate. Um, but I think at the same time, too, for um, other types of you know issues or conflicts, you know, we think that restorative approaches, as well as other types of means of correction, um, are appropriate in really addressing the behavior. Got it. Yeah. 
has restorative justice proven to be more effective, and do you think it's more effective than traditional means of punishment? So? Um, I think, you know, for a few years, the state of California um, has required that schools in most situations, you know, so depending on what the situation is, that schools use, you know, other means to educate or to correct, you know, misbehavior. Uh, restorative justice is just one of many recommendations that the state made those few years ago. Uh, but since then, you know, just in terms of the state, um, as well as here in the Conejo, um, you know, there's been a reduction in suspensions. And um, when they study other districts and places that do deep work with restorative approaches, they find that um, the other, you know, there are other positive results like um, higher rates of attendance, um, students feeling safer at school, and just fewer behavioral incidences over overall. Um, I can say from my experience as a former principal that um, used and implemented restorative approaches um, pretty widely. Um, it really is an effective tool um, in creating a closer sense of community and providing students with skills to be more successful in the future. Nice. While doing our research, we came across a statement that restorative justice should simulate cultural norms. The way we do things around here was a specific quote. This year, our principal, Mrs. Chambers, implemented a crew time, a philosophy based on compassion, responsibility, empowerment, and well-being. Uh, the crew, I think, was really implemented just um, just to really uh, uh, what's it called? improve the environment in our schools, to make it seem more friendly, to make it seem more nice, to have students, make students feel more safe and accepted around, you know, in our school environment. And, and so, and how does restorative justice, in your opinion, help support the needs of social emotional needs of students in schools? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to what we talked about right at the beginning of the podcast is that, you know, there should be something for everyone at a school site at a district, right? So um, we've seen, I've seen personally, and I used to, uh, my former position, I was a, pr a high school principal. Um, there are, as you all know, there are different clubs, different, you know, may, whether you're into sports or you're into uh, music or, or um, choir or theater, and then all the different clubs. But there's also, for those who aren't, that can't connect that way, um, there are some schools that use an advisory period, or you know, you mentioned crew. What you guys you use? Uh, there are different programs at schools, and it and it really it depends on your school site, right? And what's what's the best fit for Sequoia Middle School? What's the best fit for Newberry Park High School? Or you know, so whatever those are, and whatever the whatever the needs of the students are, that's really should be the focus because we are all here, you know, for students for your education, and that can like I said before, that's your academic education, but also your social emotional. So if there are programs out there, like I mentioned, you know, the advisory, any type of enrichment activities uh, to, to help students that keep them interested and basically keep them out of trouble, to be honest with you, um, that's, those are kind of the things that we're researching and that we're looking at. And, um, you know, we're really interested in implementing those throughout our school sites. Yeah, and from a, like just from a middle school perspective, you know, each site is doing a lot of work to really ensure the social-emotional success of, you know, of all of our students. For Sequoia, um, in particular, uh, with its uh, four pillars of um, the crew model, which are compassion, responsibility, empowerment, and well-being, I think that those four pillars really do align with um, restorative approaches. For instance, um, compassion is so important, um, the idea of being able to understand someone else's feelings, as well as how one's behavior affects someone else. Um, is critical to restorative approaches. 
the responsibility piece um, is important too because um, we want our students to be not just responsible to say a principal or a teacher but responsible um, to an entire community of learners here at Sequoia. Um, restorative approaches absolutely empowers students to make things right and to have a voice um, in in that opportunity to make things right and to address the harms that were caused. And then of course, just the well-being is, you know, when we do restorative approaches, really provides that just healthier um, climate for all of our students and staff. Awesome. So in our school and based on what we've discussed, restorative justice sounds like it could be useful for students and teachers throughout the district. But is restorative justice being implemented in everyday life for adults in our modern court system and society? Do you guys know? Huh. I would say, um, I think more and more we, um, like in larger society, like we are trying to find ways to um, restore and like rehabilitate, um, like outside of schools. Um, in some of my experience um, prior to coming here to the Conejo, um, I could see a lot of work being done with, um, you know, like at risk students throughout the county mm -hmm. that focused in on like providing. Um, like the skills that they need to be more successful, um, opportunities as well as um, really like mentorship um, and really more doors being open for students and people who are more at risk than more, more doors being closed. And I think restorative approaches certainly is, is a, a door opener. And I think it, as Mr. Lou said before, it is a mindset. So to answer the question, if it's being implemented every in everyday life for adults, um, you know, I don't, it's hard to answer that because I know it depends yeah. on your family too, right? Like some some families have that restorative approach and they have systems set up within their family culture. Some don't, just to be honest with you. You guys are in probably one of the, my opinion, the one of the hardest parts of your life. Being a middle school student is hard. You're going through a lot of changes, a lot of stuff going on. You're thrown together with a, a, you know all these students. So there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of stuff. So, you know, that's why it's so important that you start to create this system now because in you know when you get into high school or when you graduate and get a job and you know it, it is so important that you have that skill so that's kind of what we're trying to implement is is that that skill within that you can so well you can deal with it so uh, my next question is that so restorative justice sounds like it is uh, it help it will help with most situations but what if a student is like a repeat offender, if you will, and they keep constantly doing the same things or different things over and over again, or they still keep causing problems or have conflicts with a teacher or a staff member. Like, what will, will restorative justice still be used, or will you convert back in traditional methods, or what would happen? And it really depends, I hear where you come from, it really depends on the situation, but it's important that traditional school discipline and restorative justice are not mutually exclusive. Uh, that means you can't ha you can't have and do both at the same time, right? So it really depends on the situations. For instance, if a student is very disrespectful to another student in class, that student may be removed and there may be a conference with the family. You may have a conference with your counselor. Um, but at the same time, the continual conversation with the student could be able, uh, in it's how do you restore and repair the harm done to that student because you have to eventually you have to come back to the class with that student right so there needs to be some type of um, restorative practice so that no harm is done to either student when you re-enter the class and also the teacher as well so you know it, when that creates a disruption in the classroom environment there are you know 35 students in the class and now you have the situation between the two so 
does a disciplinary consequence solve the issue? Well, arguably not. You've got to have some type of conversation or intervention so that we recognize the problem, we take step, kids take responsibility for their actions, and then you take the necessary steps to make sure that uh, you correct the behavior. So that's all part of the, it's all part of what we're talking about. So restorative justice sounds like it's great. And it, like you had said, um, with the one-on-one -on -one sessions and with that moderator or whoever that may be, is that going to be implemented uh, really with like counselors in mind? Or are we going to have more peer mediation going on? Or what do you plan to implement with that sort of aspect of restorative justice? I think that there are, as you said, there are lots of ways um, that we can implement restorative approaches. And I think um, a lot of those approaches really like are happening you know, right now, let's say in classrooms and at schools. And so I think that you know, as we look forward to you know, advancing the work of restorative approaches in our district, I think that it's important that um, we, you know, as leaders, are like, sensitive to, to what's, what's appropriate and um, what's going to be best received you know, by our students, by our staff, and um, by our stakeholders as well. So I think right now, you know, um, we don't have a eight-year plan yeah. you know, at this point. Um, but I think that you know this is sort of part of it. Um, I think messaging out some Just of the, about some of the understandings, yeah, about restorative approaches and really starting that dialogue. Um, we're really receptive to what that dialogue is and how to best make this work um, for really the students in our district. Fantastic. Anyone have a question that they'd like to come ask, Mr. Liu, Mr. Mercer? Hi, my name is Jamie Lin, and I wanted to ask, how did you guys come up with the Conejo motto? Oh, the Kaneha Way? Oh, the Kaneha yeah, Way. The Kaneha way. <laughs> that was here when we got here. I think, no. that, I think that predates <laughs> us. Yeah, but, uh, but I think uh, from what I understand is when Dr. McLaughlin took, um, you know, took the helm and the reins, mm -hmm. and as our leader, that was kind of, they had been talking about, you know, some type of motto or some type of saying that is that involves everybody and kind of the way we do things. And so I think the Kaneha Way, again, I don't want to speak for him, but I think that kind of blossomed out of, the feeling of hey we're in this together and we want to provide as much as many options and activities for our students as possible so it's fairly new but it also predates us right yeah and I think that as we've come in new to the district we've really been excited about like how, how do you make that work how do we make the Conejo happen and so for instance with our principal group uh, we developed the Conejo code and that yeah, really was taking a look at those you know four ideas of teamwork relationship building trust and accountability and figuring out how are we gonna make that happen you know, in our roles here in the Conejo. Hi, my name is Emily. So Hi, Emily. I have a question. If you have a conversation with a student and with a behavior issue, and you know there's some issue at home, what, how do you deal with that problem? I think communication is key. I think um, you know, we have amazing counselors in this district. We have amazing teachers and um, amazing administrators, and I think and we have amazing families and parents. And, and I think the, the first thing is communication. You never can resolve a problem if you're just having a one-on-one, -on -one, in my opinion. You know, you it's very rare, I should say, that you can resolve a problem just one-on-one. -on -one. I think involving the family is very important because then now, when you because you're only here for what, six, seven hours a day, but you go home and you're with your family and so there's a lot of time there. So I think that that partnership between families and the school site is so important because we're all in this together and we need as much help at, at home as we do at the school site when it comes to 
when it comes to behavior. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the only thing I could add is that you know it's important as schools and as a district that we do all the proactive work bef before that student comes into the office, say, right? So students should know that um, that they're cared for here, you know, in the Canal Valley Unified School District, and they should know that you know um, that they can share things uh, that are going on in their lives, and that the school and the staff will be receptive and caring, and really um, find the best way to, to help in that situation. Right. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Uh, I do have one quick question sure. that I was thinking of. What if a student just doesn't want to do the restorative justice? What if they don't want to take part of it? Do they just like are they excluded from it, or do you still like implement the restorative justice, you know, sort of system? So um, from experience, I can say that um, that sometimes does happen, right? And restorative justice is not like the the end all be all in terms of you know providing education for students about misbehavior. Um, restorative approaches can be just one of many you know tools that a school can use. But I think that if a student's not willing, say, to have a conversation you know with someone else, like to make things right, um, we certainly don't want to force that or, right. or, or make that happen because then you know. That's uh, you know disingenuous, um, and we certainly don't don't want to be encouraging that. So you know in that particular case, oftentimes it's a it's it's a conversation with that student about well, you know how can you make this right? And so maybe you know it's really a dialogue between you know say the school staff and that student about well I might not be comfortable going in a circle setting to talk about my actions and how I'm going to take responsibility, but maybe it's about you know, doing, doing something smaller, still in, in that same vein of making things right. It's a good question, Shiv, and I think just to expand on that, you know, we mentioned before the Breakthrough Program, and I'm not sure if our audience knows what the Breakthrough Program is, but we do have in, in our district um, this outside program. It's not, I shouldn't say outside. It's not within a school site per se, but it is a team of counselors that is available for um, students and families to attend uh, and so, for example, if a student is referred to Breakthrough and they don't want to do it, that's fine. We'll find some other, you know, we'll, we will exhaust everything to try to help the student out. But I'll give you one example. Um, you know, in my experience, I've seen some examples of students who at first they were referred to Breakthrough and the counseling services. They refused to go. There was consequences, whatever. And the behavior kept continuing. Finally, after counselors and the parents and the student talked about you know well, what's going on here what's this pattern they agreed to do it and they and they after a few um, incidents they agreed to go to breakthrough and it worked you know they had a conversation with the counselors they matured a little bit they understand they understood what their actions were how that had an effect on others and so sometimes it just takes some time you know uh, but it's not a, right now it's not really a, a mandatory thing we're just reaching out to try to try to help kids that's very interesting. Thank mm -hmm. you. Sure. So based on everything we've discussed today, what would you tell parents, teachers, and community members who ask why our school district is moving forward with the implementation of restorative justice? Um, I mean, I would say that for us, education is key. Uh, we're in the business of educating our students and preparing them with the skills that they need for the future. Uh, to be clear, restorative approaches or restorative justice is not the solution for every problem or every matter. However, I think that as a district, restorative justice does allow us to make our schools more social-emotionally safe um, communities for all of our students. And I think it's slow and gradual work, um, but I'm really pleased that we um, are starting you know, this conversation, this path uh, together. Yeah, and I, I would add on to that and just say that you know, we live in a, 
a really special place. You know, the Conejo Valley is a very special place, and and with a lot of opportunities both in the schools and outside in the, in the area for our kids. And um, you know, I'm I feel really lucky. You know, I have three kids, and uh, I feel really lucky to raise my children in this community. And I'm sure your parents feel the same way. And I think it's all about that partnership between kids, teachers, administrators, and families. And that's just that alone, talking about the Conejo way, that's what's going to make us better, and that's what's going to help you guys achieve your goals and become productive citizens someday. So this is just one piece of that puzzle. Absolutely. Well, uh, Mr. Lu and Mr. Musa, this has been very informational to me a, a lot because before I really didn't know that much about it, and I thought it wasn't really that effective. But now that I've learned a lot, it actually seems like it's a pretty good uh, way of handling with dealing with problems. And so I hope, I'm pretty sure it's informational for you as well, Jack. Definitely. And I mean, I second that me and Shiv when we were researching, we were talking about this. And, you know, I, at first I was, I was, I was, you know, it sounded good. And then Shiv pointed out some things that maybe could be flaws. And we talked about it. And I mean, it looks like it's all handled and it, it's only pointing for the good, you know, and I think it's, it's going to be a great program for our district. Well, we appreciate you guys asking questions. Yeah, That's so sure. important for students to be well-informed and to do what you guys are doing and to getting this out. I mean, it's so important to, to inquire and ask questions. So we want to thank you guys for for being taking the lead on that. Yeah, your guys' work is inspiring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I also hope that all our, uh, all our listeners have learned something from this uh, informational podcast. And is there anything else you'd like to add, something you'd like to you know, say that you want people to know at the end, or is that all? Just thanks for having us. It's yeah. been great. It's good to get out of the office, right, Mr. Lou? Absolutely. Yeah. I hope I didn't uh, contaminate all your equipment <laughs> yeah. with my illness. He's a little sick. But yes. Well, we'll thank you guys so much for coming in today. We really do appreciate it. And again, like Shiv said, I think it's really going to have a difference on our district and all of our listeners. And we really hope that this program uh, takes a step up and gets implemented more and more because it sounds great. So uh, with that, uh, thank you guys for coming in. Thank you for listening. Uh, this is KA19 signing off.